0: Welcome to First Baptist Church in Belton. We are glad you found us. We seek to know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally together. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Thank you, Larry Reeves. You blessed our hearts. By the singing of that great hymn. Thank you. Thank you so much. It is good to see you. I add my voice of welcome again to uh, Logan's and welcome each of you to this service. I'll ask you if you would please open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10. We're going to read several verses this morning, but if you will open your Bibles there, you will be at the right place for the first verses We started a series two weeks ago entitled, What in the World is Happening Here? And the here does not mean this building or this church, but it means our culture. We have, uh, I have shared lots of information, perhaps uh, too many statistics. I don't know, but I hope it's been helpful. My desire is that you will pray on the basis of what the Holy Spirit tells you from each message that you will then act as the Holy Spirit leads you to act. The series is not an angry harangue against our society or a woe is the church sermon, sermons, because I believe with all my heart that these are the most exciting days in human history. Uh, They are filled with Controversy, they are filled with things that concern us, but this is the most exciting day in all of history to be alive and the opportunities for the gospel of Jesus Christ have never been greater than they are now. And so we're looking to the future, pondering, thinking about our culture, but excited about all that God has for us. Now, just by way of brief reminder, on week one, we laid the foundation for the entire series, and I said Christ and the gospel are offensive. They are for three reasons resulting in two consequences. The Christ and the gospel are offensive. First of all, because the Bible says God created. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And because He is creator and ruler over all, He has the authority to tell us what to do the second reason that christ and the gospel are offensive is that man is a sinner the bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of god and you and i are part of the all and we know that man is a sinner and there is a price to be paid for our sin But thanks be to God, Jesus paid that price on the cross by dying there for us that we might have our sins forgiven and have the gift of eternal life. But in our culture today, to say that man is a sinner is offensive. And the third thing that is offensive is there is only one way to God, and that is by Jesus. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is exclusive There are not many ways to God. There is only one way to God. And to many in our culture today, that is offensive. Now, that has resulted in two consequences. The first consequence is we can stand or we can crumble. That's our choice. We can stand on the word of God or we can crumble in the face of voices that perhaps even shout at us. And second consequence is Is this world falling apart or is everything falling into place? Many times people will say, pastor, the world's falling apart. Well, not really. Everything's falling into place, just as the scripture said it would for the return of Jesus Christ. Then last week we talked about the disappearance of the innocents and that is we dealt with the issue of abortion. The key to abortion is one simple question that you must answer for yourself. When does life begin? The answer to that question will dictate your feelings about abortion. And the Bible teaches that life begins at conception. Now, the child is a marvel of God's creativity, as we had an opportunity to see last week. And we know that God is Redeemer. He forgives entirely. He heals deeply. He restores relationships. And we believe in the value of one, the value of every person from conception to death. So we ask ourselves in light of our culture, what should we do? And we concluded, let's pray. We stand on scripture lovingly, graciously, kindly, but clearly. We should vote pro-life because we live in a society where we can do that. There are many countries in the world today where they can't do that, but we can. We should re- support organizations like the Hope Pregnancy Center, and we should show compassion for pregnant, young pregnant mothers who are trying to decide, should I carry this baby to term or should I abort? And we should come alongside of them and say, let us help you. And that is not rhetoric. That means we mean what we say. If you carry this baby, we will help in every way possible, spiritually and physically, tangibly. And we mean that, and we will do it. Let's develop a culture of life in First Baptist Church, Belton. I believe we've already done that. Let's continue to do it and accelerate it. Now today, right religion in our culture, the least of these. Listen to this: uh, these words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 25. Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then later in the text it says, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. The least of these, the poor, children, widows, orphans and others and so we're going to think about that today i want to commend you you're an extraordinary amazing church i never cease to be amazed at all you do in uh, helping the least of these in our immediate culture i see you serving at the helping hands food pantry i see you serving at the body of christ community clinic I see you serving in family promise that ministers to the homeless. And there are many, many other ways that I see you ministering in this community to the least of these. You are extraordinary. You are remarkable. And I'm very proud of you. I am proud to say to people in our community, I am the pastor of First Baptist Church Belton. and What I mean by that is not a building or a location, but what I mean by that is People. I view you as extraordinary people and thank you for all that you do now these verses and today unlike we normally do we're just going to stay seated you stood for the responsive reading here are the passages of scripture the first is deuteronomy 10 verses 17 and 18 for the lord your god is god of god's And Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. Psalm 68, 5. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. Exodus chapter 22, verse 22 do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless and I'm not going to take time to read the rest of that passage I hope you will do that later but God lets us know how seriously he takes it when someone takes advantage of the widow or the fatherless because he uses words like I will be aroused in my anger and I will kill you with the sword okay I think I get it and so Isaiah Chapter one and verse seventeen Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. And then lastly for the moment, James one twenty seven, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I want to zero in on that verse with the others setting the background for us. James is plain spoken. We just did a series in James and I think we would all agree James is plain spoken. It is not difficult to understand what James is saying. And it is amazing that of all that God could have said about real religion of all that God could have said about real religion he points all of us to orphans and widows and tells us to give attention to them and to not be polluted by the world now don't look at that it would be a misinterpretation of scripture if you look at that as three things, okay, we'll, we'll minister to the orphans, we'll minister to the widows, and we'll try to be unpolluted by the world. They're all one. You can't separate them. They're all one. They're all tied together. If you look back at verse 26, you'll find that James said, "...those who consider themselves religious, yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless." And then he tells us what real religion is. And then in verses 1 through 4, he issues a warning about what he means by being polluted by the world, being polluted by the standards of the world. Because verses 1 through 4 talk about showing favoritism to those who can help you rather than treating everyone equally and giving special attention to orphans and widows. So we give attention and we are amazed of all that God could have said about real religion. He points us to caring for orphans and widows. What would you have said if you were writing the text? I doubt there's one in a hundred who would have said anything about taking care of the orphans and widows. uh, Honest confession, I wouldn't have. If I'm writing the text, I would have thought about all other kinds of things. For real religion. But God says real religion is looking after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So here's what I want us to get our arms around this morning. Three things. And the first is this. Look after the most vulnerable. Look after the most vulnerable. True religion is to be family for those who have no family. True religion is to be family for those who have no family. In the world today there are over 140 million orphans. I I can't even begin to get my arms around that in my mind around that. 140 million orphans and and I'm not responsible for all of them and neither are you but I am responsible for some of them and so are we there are today 258 million widows in our world some of them well off mostly in western cultures but most of them not well-off, most of them very poor. In the United States of America, vulnerable children are not always orphans in the sense that both parents are deceased or the parents have abandoned the children. But in most cases, the child or the children have been removed from the home, from the parent or parents for the protection of the child or children and they are entered into the foster care system and ultimately some of them can be adopted but certainly not all of them in foster care in the United States as of this moment there are 442,995 children in foster care now I want you to try to get your mind around that figure so um Whether whether you are an Aggie or not, you are well aware of Kyle Field. Huge stadium, seats 102,733. So that means that all of the children in foster care in the United States of America could fill up Kyle Field 4.3 times. That's staggering. Every seat would be filled, not Baptist style, where we spread out in our pews, but Aggie style, where there every seat is filled. In the state of Texas, there are currently 31,855 children in the foster care system. Our beautiful Crusader Stadium seats 7,671 in seats. Now, that doesn't count the berms on the two ends where you could sit, but it counts the real seats, 7,671. You could fill up that stadium 4.2 times with all of the children in Texas who are in foster care. And in Bell County, there are 903 children in foster care that means if those children were here this morning they would almost fill up this room bell Countyans alone the children available for adoption in america currently 110,000 with 3,533 of those being in texas and 64 of them being in our county Foster care ends at the age of 18 in almost every state in the union, though some states are carefully looking at that. 25% of the children in foster care are over the age of 14. 17,000 of those children age out yearly, meaning they reach 18 and they're out of the foster care system. 20% of those are immediately homeless. That's staggering. And a recent survey conducted of young adults who were in the foster care system at the age of 26 have an average income of $13,989. You can't make it on $13,000 in America today, whether you're 26 or 76. So they're vulnerable. So what do we do? I'm a Christian, and we are a church, and James is written to us. So where am I going with this? Well, that brings us to number two. Sacrificially care for those who cannot pay you back. Sacrificially care for those who cannot pay you back. Specifically for our thinking this morning, widows and orphans. In, in regard to widows, a good place to start is our church. Now, our deacons, we have a wonderful deacon body, and our deacons have what is called an endeared ladies ministry. What that means is our deacons adopt each of the widows in our church. So when a lady becomes a widow or a widow joins our church, then within a respectable period of time, there is one of our deacons that will contact that widow and say, we have a deacon who would like to be your deacon and that deacon wants to minister to you and and help you in any way that he can. And it's an awesome ministry. But you don't have to be a deacon to care about widows. You can start with those that you know here. You can start in your neighborhood. And also be aware that in many of our mission efforts around the world, particularly Moldova, part of our ministry is devoted to widows because it's pretty rugged in many places for widows today. So in the church, we're developing or continuing to develop a culture of life and blessing and joy. And we want that to be directed toward the widows of our congregation and the widows of the community. Single-parent homes. Over one-third of all children in America live in a single-parent home. And nearly 50% of all births in America this year will be to single moms. There is a price to be paid by our nation for our devaluing of biblical marriage. Orphans, 140 million of them, mostly outside the United States. In the United States, the majority of foster care and adoptable are children who have been removed from the homes of parents for one reason or another. So orphans and widows are vulnerable. They can't pay us back if we do something for them, nor would we want them to i'm reminded of the story of the book of ruth a man named elimelech was married to a woman named naomi and they had two children and their names were malon and kilion they lived in bethlehem and a famine came to bethlehem so severe that people were starving to death and so elimelech decided to take his family and go to the land of Moab where there was lots of food. However, Moab was a godless country. Nevertheless, Elimelech felt that going there would be better than starving to death, so he took his family to Moab. While there, they did okay for a while, but then Elimelech died. The boys, Malon and Chilion, eventually married Moabite women one named Ruth and one named Orpah. Then about ten years later, the two boys died. And that left Naomi, Elimelech's wife, the mother of the two boys, that left Naomi with two Moabite daughters-in-law and made them pretty destitute. Then word came that things were better in Bethlehem. And so Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, I want to go back home. I want to go back to Bethlehem. And so they all prepared to go, but Naomi said to Ruth and Orpah, you stay here. Stay among your people. Get married again. Have children. I'm not going to be able to give you any more sons for you to marry, so stay here. And they went back and forth on that for a while, and Orpah decided to stay, but Ruth, not Ruth, Ruth said in those very famous words to Naomi, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn from following you, for where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God, and where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. And Ruth went with Naomi back to Bethlehem. When they got there, Naomi said to Ruth, We need food go to one of the fields where men are harvesting the grain and just follow behind them and they'll leave some on the ground, not on purpose, but by accident. And so you can gather up some of that and bring it back to us so we can eat. While Ruth was there, the owner of the field, whose name was Boaz, saw her and was immediately interested in this attractive young woman. Well, as things would have it, he met her, had her for a meal And then loaded her down with grain to take back for her and Naomi. When she came home with all that grain, Naomi said, whose field were you in? And Ruth said, I was in the field owned by a man named Boaz. And Naomi said, Boaz, he's one of my relatives. He's our kinsman redeemer he will help us he will take care of us boaz married ruth and he did take care of both ruth and naomi as their kinsman redeemer why did he do that because he knew he should because he knew he could and because he knew he must why should we address the needs of orphans And widows because we know we should because we know we can and because we know we must not all of you should be foster parents or adoptive parents but perhaps some of you should and all of us can help minister to those who are foster parents and adoptive parents For instance, you know a couple in our church, foster parents. Sometimes they need a break. You can take the required training to be a babysitter. And you may say, well, I don't need training to be a babysitter. Well, legally, the foster care system, you do. But it's easy and simple. You could take the very brief training to be a babysitter and then offer to babysit so that couple can get away and go out and have a night To themselves or you can kind of act as substitute grandparents if this couple doesn't have parents in the community and that's more often the case these days than not or you can take a meal or you can have them over for dinner or take them out for dinner and you certainly can pray for them and let them know i want you to know that i am praying for you and if there's specific requests let me know That's just part of our developing among us a culture of life and support. And one of the targets of that life and support can be those who consider adoption and those who participate in foster care. And we can help the widows of our congregation and our community who are in need. So the simple question is if we don't, who will? If we don't, who will? Sometimes the the answer is, I thought the government did that. No, not like you might think that they do. And our responsibility is to minister to the needs of the orphans and the widows. Tracy O'Bannon is on our staff. What a great lady and family. She is our minister for special needs and foster care adoption. She is a walking encyclopedia of information and encouragement i would encourage you to talk to her if you are interested in foster care of or adoption and by the way it is expensive to adopt and we have a fund in our church to help families who are considering adoption and that fund has grown to be a very significant amount of money and we don't want it just sitting in the bank collecting interest there's an application procedure and we encourage you to look into that if you are considering adoption or foster care. Having said all that, the question then is finally, what then? What, what then do we do? Well, first of all, pray. As a church, will you add that to your prayer list? Will you pray for the, the orphans, the children, and the widows and the holy spirit then and i am a firm believer in this i always say pray about something pray about something then do what the holy spirit tells you the holy spirit will direct your level of involvement he will the key part for you and for me is when he directs then to obey and not try to push it aside Pray, and then secondly, do what God enables you to do. Do what God enables you to do. For instance, you know a widow in our congregation. Intentionally get to know her better. Intentionally get to know her. Invite her to a meal at your house or include her in an occasional family outing. Listen to her story. She no doubt has a story to tell, so listen to it. And then anticipate a blessing, because when you minister, the greater blessing will not be the widow's, it'll be yours. Happens every time. And then for those who would consider foster care adoption, pray, investigate, support others, and enter the process yourself. We have a lot of families in our church. You may not be aware of it. I mean, often folks have no idea. But we have a lot of parents who who are foster parents. And then we have a lot of adopted kids in our church and a lot of parents who are considering adoption. They're in the process. Is it easy? No. It can be frustrating. It can be long. It can be heartbreaking. But in the end, it will be worth it because you're doing what God tells you to do. Now, here's an announcement. Three weeks from today, on Sunday, September 8th at 1215, right after the second service in room 255. I don't expect you to remember all that. It'll be publicized heavily in the next three weeks. We're going to have an informational meeting for foster care and adoption for folks to investigate. And that'd be for anybody. You may be 75 years old and you'd say, well, I can't be a foster parent or I can't adopt. That's true. But there are things. In fact, I specifically said, Tracy, should people like that come to the meeting? And she said, absolutely. There's lots of information. So it will be Sunday, September 8th at 1215. So for you in this service, come to this service, go to Sunday school, go get a bite to eat and come back. Second service folks may have to go hungry, but then you come back. All right at 1215 in room 255. Now let me tie all this together. See, this is a little bit different sermon than last week, isn't it? Uh, maybe last week your stomach was in a knot. Mine was. <laughs> this one's different. We're going to cover a whole lot of different subjects over these next few weeks. But let's tie all this together. Let's continue to develop here a culture of life and blessing life and blessing why? because we should because we can and because we must for the glory of God let's bow together Father I don't know what you want every person in this room to do as a result of hearing this message today but I pray that every person in this room will ask for the Holy Spirit to guide and I know you'll do that and then I pray that we'll be obedient and I pray that when folks think of First Baptist Belton at least one of the things that they will think about is that is a church that has a culture of life and blessing and joy. I also know one other thing, Father, and that is it is your heart's desire that every lost person in this room come to know you through your Son Jesus. And so I pray right now that through the Holy Spirit you will speak to those who do not yet know you. That you will woo them and call them and draw them. And that now at our time of invitation, someone might come to know Jesus in whose name I pray. God is speaking to the heart of someone here this morning to give your heart and life to Jesus. Will you come? I'm standing at the front. Place your hand in mine and say very simply, Pastor, I need Jesus. And a member of our staff will be here to pray with you, open God's word and share with you. So we're praying or we're coming Whatever God's saying to you, let's stand as Brother Gary leads us. If you would like more information, visit our church website at www.fbcbelton.org or call our church office at 254-939-0705. We are located at 506 North Main Street in Belton, Texas. We hope to see you soon.